This conversation is brought to you by Fuller Seminary. Now available at Fuller, a new way to learn and community this fall with youth, family, and culture cohort. This online cohort offers new students a youth-focused pathway within the Master of Divinity, MA in Theology, MA in Theology and Ministry, or MA in Intercultural Studies degree. Interact with Fuller's world-class faculty as part of a tight-knit cohort and benefit from tailored course sequences, dedicated cohort advisors, career planning support, and a commitment to whole life formation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash youth cohort. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. Before we get to our conversation, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of CBF's podcast. We also want to let you know that if you have authors, practitioners, or other people that you think we should feature on the podcast, be sure to drop me an email at ahale at cbf.net. That's A-H-A-L-E at cbf.net. And now, on to our conversation. Our guests for this week's conversation are Karen Doucette and Larry Duggins. Larry is the Executive Director of Missions, Missional Wisdom Foundation, and Karen is the Community Pastor of Hall Creek Commons in Asheville, North Carolina, one of the most beautiful places in the world. Karen and Larry, thank you for joining the conversation. It's our pleasure. I'm glad to be a part. Larry, sorry I didn't describe Texas as beautiful, but most of our listeners know how I feel about the big state. <laughs> well, uh, we, when I was in business, we used to laugh that uh, productivity was so high in our part of Texas because nobody spent any time looking out the window. So <laughs> I'm with you. I think one of the first things that threw me off about spending a lot of time in Texas is to realize just how many people have artificial turf in their front yard, at least so they could have the feel of having grass because they can't actually have grow. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a rumor. Yeah. <laughs> well, y'all are both in very uh, unique ministry settings, and so I want to take some time to kind of break those down into size. Karen, we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um, let's see. I'm Karen. You said, and I grew up in Asheville. I grew up right near this church. So that's something unique about my appointment is that I get to serve in the very community that I grew up in. And that was even a surprise. Larry, you, you didn't even know that initially when we began the process of figuring out who to be in this position. Uh, I grew up and I was an MS, I have my MSW from Georgia. So I was a social worker initially and then now. As a second career, I went in and became a, um, I did my MDF. So I have the combination of community related to both those professions. What else would you like to know about? <laughs> well, tell us more about Hall Creek Commons. All right. Hall Creek Commons is in the heart of uh, about a 7,800 household community, very small, not but fairly large community. And within that community, we have a lot of diversity within the community. And we also have um, folks that are of all ages. We have a school that's located right behind the church. You, you just met some of the kids that came through. So that was kind of fun for you. 
and all the families at park. We have a playground right behind the, the church and um, some chickens, and they always have fun playing out back. We also have a beautiful garden by Katie, Katie Rudd, who is the cultivator here, has really designed it well, and now even making the back area look beautiful as well as all around the whole facility at Hall Creek Commons here. Um, there's a ball field nearby, uh, a pub right down the road. Um, a lot of people like to be outside and outdoors. There's a hiking trail you can get on pretty close by. The houses are a mix of old houses and new houses, quite a bit of apartments. The a, that community was held by larger farms and now it's broken down into uh, more households. Some of the age in the community is older, but a lot of it's becoming younger now. Many of the houses are turned over. So all the kids around here are getting excited because they're about to be out of school and they'll probably be over the pool a lot of most of the summer. Indy, it's a it's an amazing place um, because uh, you know of course the the commons is uh, situated in the building that was uh, Bethesda United Methodist Church and Bethesda goes back um, to mid century so 1850s ish uh, and um, uh, you know has been in a number of different uh, buildings over the over that time period but in, in this space and so physically it it looks like a little neighborhood Methodist Church, 100-seat sanctuary, forward-facing pews, uh, the whole kind of uh, uh, two-story uh, cinder block education building stuck to the back of it. Uh, and that was one of the things that was so attractive to us about using it to develop the commons, um, to, to take uh, something that was uh, so stereotypical physically and um, uh, transform it in a way that allowed it to be used more broadly in the community and through the, through the week. And so um, we did a lot of physical transformation in this space, but it, it, we, we were thrilled to be able to do that here because of the neighborhood demographics that Karen described. Um, this is uh, kind of middle America up in the mountains and uh, is uh, uh, just a great place to, to do this kind of ministry. Well, just as we're talking, our listeners can't see this, but, you know, Karen is sitting in what looks like a kind of a renovated um, worship space, but we spoke earlier and you were in a very unique looking space that had garage doors opening to the beautiful weather that you're experiencing today as I'm experiencing the upper 90s here down in Baton Rouge. But it, you use this language of common. So for our listeners, um, let's talk about that language. What does that mean? What's the goal behind it? You got ahead, Larry. Um, you know, the idea of a commons is uh, is a shared space, a space that can be used by many people of the community in a number of different ways. And they, it, the idea goes back to times when communities used to maintain uh, grazing pastures that could be used by a number of uh, different families within the community. That's the idea we wanted to bring forward into Hall Creek Commons, the idea that 
just because we have a, a church here and that we use this space for worship and for community activities with regard to the church doesn't mean that this space can't also be broadly used by the community as a whole. The, the idea is an expansion of Christian community to include the whole physical neighborhood and to invite people into Christian community. So what does that look like on a day-to-day basis, Karen? Well, we've got going on uh, just a variety of different stuff. Today, as I mentioned to you, we're setting up for a funeral tomorrow, a celebration of life for a gentleman that's turned was about to turn 99. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, we've had, we'll have Girl Scouts, we'll have Spanish Club, we'll have... Um, just a few minutes ago when we were coming up the steps, I ran into Katie and a couple other women, and they're believing uh, working on an art council project. Project. We have two artists in the back room. We have a therapist that works in the other room. We have a piano teacher. We have um, a group of a homeschool fam- uh, school that we're thinking is starting in the back corner. We've had, um, earlier this week, we had resilience training. Um, this space is transformed all the time into different places. Downstairs, we had our two interns working on asset-based community development, uh, a project they're going to be working on in the area. So they were brainstorming about that with Luke Lingle. And so we had uh, already this morning a lot going on. We stay busy with just a variety of stuff. The downstairs also has a commercial-grade kitchen that's growing in its use. It's still got some ways to go with that, but we may have somebody that's working in the kitchen that's a wedding tasting, they'll do wedding tasting here and then plan to do the catering. There will also be some other family businesses that'll be working in there. Um, Tonight we're having a potluck with uh, other interns that are all staying next door in the retreat house as a intentional community during the summer to learn from that, that, kind of experience. Um, so we'll have that going on at 5.30 tonight. So Andy, what we did with this space physically was um, change it so that it was multi-user friendly. And so we've uh, taken the sanctuary, for example, and um, uh, enclosed part of it so that it's not quite as big a room uh, that enabled us to create a a new teaching space behind what was once the chancel. We took out the pews and the red carpet and refinished the beautiful hardwood floors that were there and pulled down the acoustical tiles that were uh, up, up on the ceiling and put up a beaded wooden ceiling so that what we've got is a large open space that we use for our sanctuary on Sunday, but that's usable for the community and any number of different ways because now it's open and, and configurable in a multiple, uh, many different ways. Uh, similarly, we went downstairs into what was once the little fellowship hall and converted it, opened it up, put in the uh, new glass that you mentioned, the rolling doors so that we can open up to the outside and um, created a co-working space um, where people in the neighborhood who needed a place to be able to work away from their dining room tables didn't have to go to a coffee shop, but rather could come over to the commons and create community uh, among the the other people who were doing that. Uh, We expanded the little church kitchen into a full um, uh, commercial kitchen 
It's actually the second largest uh, shared use commercial kitchen in the county. And um, it allows people, again, in the neighborhood to be able to take uh, cottage industries that they've been working with, either food trucks or uh, catering businesses or specialty um, uh, food items, and come and do it in a commercial environment where they can increase their sales, but also do it in an environment where they've got people around them and they've got coworkers and people who can uh, share life with them. Uh, the, the, you know, we renovated the Sunday school classrooms so that they were usable for multiple different purposes. We took all of the pews that we took out and uh, had a local craftsman make them into tables for our co-working space or uh, turn them into liturgical furniture uh, so that we had that beautiful old wood that was part of the history of the church incorporated into the church in a whole new way. And we, we've done this. Uh, in such a way that um, invites the people of the neighborhood in a way that they that they haven't been invited before, and at the same time has provided a platform for the church to develop and grow. When when Karen first came to this congregation, it was very small. Uh, I, I think that when we did um, uh, uh, counting on our fingers to be able to do a, a charge conference for them, we had 21 living members at Bethesda UMC. Now that number has, um, gosh, over tripled and um, the average worship attendance has grown dramatically. And it's all because of this idea of, of, of being inviting and being hospitable and seeing ourselves as part of the flow of the whole neighborhood. Uh, Karen's done an amazing job at being highly invitational to uh, families uh, within this neighborhood um, to, to, to have them come experience the pieces of this that are important to them. Well, let's take a little bit of a step back. Um, you know, Larry, you're the executive uh, coordinator for or executive director for um, this organization that's kind of the the driver or leader behind this with Mission uh, Missional Wisdom Foundation. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and tell us a little bit more about Missional Wisdom Foundation. Sure. I am uh, a second career pastor. I, I spent the first 25 years of my career or so doing um, finance, uh, both in terms of commercial banking and running my own uh, real estate investment management business. Um, in 2008, I got uh, a pretty sharp elbow from the Holy Spirit and got told that I was supposed to be doing something else for a while. And so uh, went to uh, Perkins School of Theology down in Dallas and uh, earned a, a Master's of uh, Divinity and a Doctor of Ministry degree from that place and focused on uh, missional church uh, in, in those studies. Uh, early on in my studies there, I partnered with uh, the professor of evangelism there, a woman named Elaine Heath, who um, is a brilliant theologian and a real dreamer. And together, we put together um, what turned into the Missional Wisdom Foundation. We started out focused principally on uh, two different areas. One, we, we were interested in what was then called new monasticism, the idea of drawing together people 
to live and pray together in, in, a, in a residential community while they were either going to school or working at a, a nonprofit or something along those lines. And so we developed several new monastic communities. And then we also were very interested in missional home church. Um, we found that there were a lot of people groups uh, who didn't feel very comfortable uh, in the, the church proper. And so we wanted to find ways for them to connect with each other and to um, administer a worshiping community of their own. And so we worked with African refugees, we worked with the very poor, we worked with drug users to be able to um, create worshiping communities among them. After a year or two, or actually two or three years, um, we recognized that there was good fruit coming from that work. But we um, really felt like it was so niche, um, that is, it was kind of specialized things, you know, these little home churches and these, these residential communities, that, that we wanted to figure out a way to expand the number of things that we were doing that would help more people to engage in them. And so we did a, a fair amount of, of research and a, a lot of soul searching and um, came up with the idea that, that you know, Jesus tells us in Matthew 25 that, that uh, he'll be present where two or three are gathered in his name. And we recognize that, that how those two or three gathered was not nearly as important as being gathered in their name in the name of Christ. And so we, we did some work on how people gather and determined that today people gather around their workplaces. They gather around food. They gather around their children and their children's activities. And they gather around things that they just like or need to do together. Things as varied as hiking clubs or quilting circles all the way to um, Alcoholics Anonymous, where those people have to come together to be able to maintain their sobriety. And so we started looking at ways to transform church buildings to allow people to meet in those ways within a church building and to build community in that way. So Paw Creek Commons is a perfect example of that. We have a co-working space for work. We have the kitchen uh, for food and for work. We have um, our uh, playgrounds and our gardens and our chicken pens that we've set up to um, connect with the children at the elementary school next door, in addition to two black playgrounds and community spaces that we've built for them. And then finally, we have um, a facilitated uh, quilting circles and prayer circles and reading groups and beekeeping clubs, different kinds of uh, ways for people who just have various interests to come together and be together. And so these things flow together into a stream that allows us to um, both experience the building and management of these communities and then to teach about it. Because teaching about this kind of stuff is the other main focus of the foundation. So we've, we've got several different online and hybrid teaching platforms that we use to be able to help both clergy and lay people understand how to create communities of this type uh, in the spaces that they have. 
This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, Center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in missions and ministry. This is a a fascinating time in the church's history. Never before have we faced a a post-Christian era. We've seen a pre-Christian era and a dominant era of Christendom. And while church attendance for most denominations is declining, people are actually more spiritual and seeking spirituality than ever before. Um, CBS News and The Atlantic have both recently done stories on the closures of churches in America, and some researchers have argued that 6,000, 10,000 churches are closing their doors this year. Yet some churches are finding unique ways uh, to not only uh, partner missionally with their communities, but also find uh, financial revenues to support the ministry budget of the church. And y'all are are becoming experts in this area as you uh, lead this new way of thinking theologically and financially. So so take us a little deeper um, into this process. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. There are a couple of things that come into the mix when you think about the financial aspects of what, what we do. Um, the first is that um, a lot of what we do targets younger people, not necessarily just millennials, but people who um, are in the, the vicinity of the millennial generation, if you, can, uh, if you could say it that way. And it's been our experience that those folk, um, prefer to have almost a, a set relationship between the activities that they engage in and the money that they contribute to do those activities. So tra- traditionally, churches have said, look, come to our church, be a member of our church, give um, to your church what you can give, working up to the concept of, of being a one who tithes, which is an old concept of, of taking 10% of your, of your earnings, your revenues, your some, some economic measure, and giving it periodically to the church. That kind of donation mindset is not appealing to the millennial generation and the generations that that bracket it. Rather, they like to say, if I come and use the co-working space and become a part of this community by being part of the co-working space, how much money do I need to give you to be able to make that happen? And so we have preset pricing that says, okay, if you want to do, you know, sit at one of our tables and use our stuff and be part of our community in this, then it's $99 a month. And then they can make a value determination and say, okay, is that, does that make sense for me? And so they, they get into the habit of doing that. And in the meantime, for some of them, 
they can experience some spiritual growth and development that helps them to more clearly understand the spiritual discipline of tithing and may actually move them into uh, a place where they can say, okay, now I understand why I should give this percentage of what I've gotten in, in the, the, the past. It, it both helps them to experience a film familiarity of an economic transaction that they're comfortable with. And at the same time, gives them a path to be able to move into the spiritual discipline that tithing is on in, in its best form. Um, you know, a lot of the time people um, are resistant to the idea of churches um, charging for services that they provide or charging for um, events and what what's happening is that the the traditional form of church is shifting and so the revenue stream associated with that also needs to shift to be able to let people understand um you know paul paul supported himself by making tents and um, I'm sure for him that was a spiritual process, and I'm sure that people um, uh, came and talked to him while he was making tents, but he charged for the tent when he was done. And um, that's the way that it became possible for that ministry to continue for Paul's uh, missionary work to happen. Very, very similar uh, in, in places like Hall Creek. Um, we have to have a staff to support what we do. We have to have materials to be able to do what we do. And by um, having a revenue stream associated with that, that is fair and um, uh, makes sense to the people who are participating in it, then they um, are able to support um, the services that they engage in. Um, being a nonprofit, all of our um, excess revenue uh, flows back into the ministry as a whole. And so um, this is um, uh, uh, ultimately very similar in terms of the way that uh, we generate uh, revenue streams uh, and utilize revenue streams to what churches have historically done. We just source our revenue a little differently. Anybody who's ever put up a tent would say it's a very spiritual endeavor because it never goes up as easy as the directions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please, Lord, let it stand up. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I'm familiar with this one. Well, you, you tapped into uh, a little bit this, you know, towards the end there. Uh, this seems like it can become a, a tax status conflict for nonprofit facets of mm -hmm. the church. So, so how does that work? Um, we are very careful to um, document the ministerial purposes of what we do. And so um, the fact that we view this as a ministry and can tie um, our activities to legitimate ministry purposes um, is, um, you know, helps us to say this is consistent with what we're doing in the long run as a nonprofit. Um, I'm all tax is local. And um, so, uh, you know, I'm sure that at some point, some taxing authority somewhere is going to come and say, yeah, not really. Um, but it just hasn't happened to us very, very much. And we, we, 
we're, we're not using any way to evade taxes. This is a ministry for us. And therefore, um, you know, it's, it's our view that um, it, it applies um, a very cleanly into what our nonprofit organization is. Having said that, um, when we do um, analysis of, of new things and um, new uh, activities, we always do a scenario in which we say, what if we need to pay taxes on this revenue? What if this um, particular activity is outside of what the taxing authority believes is appropriate? And we know what the impact of that is and when and if that comes, we'll just be prepared to be able to, um, to support that if necessary. Karen, for you, how have you seen this as a missional endeavor for the church? That's a good question. We are growing in that way so clearly. We have a lot to learn, though, so I just want you to know we don't have it figured out at all, and there's many places that we have gifts and talents that still need to be explored and come about with all the folks in the church, but there's two things that uh, clearly are standing out right now with this group of just fantastic people that are coming together that God is leading to the Bethesda and I'm excited about, is that um, they're all wanting to develop their gifts. They all see that the connection to the church is for all of us to participate in the worship. So the worship is more not, um, it's everybody, everybody's lifting up and everybody's offering up to God worship when we are together. And we do that through grace and through the knowing abundance of God. So there's this common thread of the abundance instead of scarcity that's present in, in the Holy Spirit and leading. And that excitement is very much present. I think they're also an agile bunch. And that's what I keep expressing. We're still very small in, in many ways. And we realize that, but they're very agile. So we recognize that it's not about the perfection of the time together, but more the way in which someone is stepping forward and revealing and being vulnerable to one another that we affirm and really celebrate. And then another piece that's important is, so every Sunday part of worship, and they hear this said, part of worship is putting the chairs back up. So we put the chairs back up that are in the worship space and lined up for uh, the service. We put them up at the end because we're intentionally saying to each other, we're making space for other people. We're making room for other people. So when we do that and leave our doors open every worship, that it has been um, this constant reminder. So through these two very clear past places, we're recognizing that less is more, keeping things simple is more important so that our focus can be on being missional and forming community with the community and with Hall Creek Commons and ourselves, then we're, we're creating more um, opportunity to learn from each other in this greater place of where we can ask questions. Because you and I both know that if we're patient and do that with each other, then we allow a direction that maybe wouldn't have been just spurred on by one person. Instead, we're forming a way that could be creative based on a lot of ideas contextualized. So questions and being curious and imaginative and playful. Um, for a while, before we got back into the worship space, 
I, I used as a um, metaphor the playground that's out back because we want to live fun lives and meaningful lives. That doesn't mean every day's fun. I'm not trying to contextualize that. We know a lot of work is involved in being a follower of Christ, but we also recognize that the joy and peace that comes from Christ allows us to be expressive in creative ways. I mean, God is always creating. So in that context, we want to take part to be aware of that, to show up as we learn from Elaine Heath and Larry Duggan so clearly, to show up, pay attention, release the outcome, and um, cooperate with God, and then release the outcome. So I believe our church is really wanting to be agile and aware and present and recognize that taking care of having more space, more room to invite different folks into the, the opportunity to grow as Christians is, is very important. Mm-hmm. There's an incredibly important thing here, Andy, that I want to be sure that you and your listeners have heard. Um, Karen is a skilled pastor and is someone who, when she um, first took this role as the leader of this new emerging thing, for this church. Um, She spent a lot of time getting her arms around the theological underpinnings that sit underneath this. And then she made it her business to teach the congregation this, both um, in her sermons and most importantly, by her actions within the community and within the church. And um, this is a key component. Um, uh, in order for uh, really this kind of outreach to be successful for people, you, you got to buy into it. You've got to believe that what you're doing is, in fact, a leading into the call of the Holy Spirit for you today, and that um, your work with the church echoes that in every aspect of what you do. Karen lives that wonderfully. And um, in, 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 her, in her words that you just heard, you heard her emphasis on grace, her emphasis on community, her emphasis on presence, her emphasis on simplicity, her emphasis on uh, being um, agile within the community, meaning I'm not going to get hung up on any one particular thing. Rather, I'm going to look and see how can this help others to um, learn who God is? How can this help uh, us to follow the lead of the Spirit? And uh, it's, it's incredibly important. It was so fun the other day. We, one of the uh, gas lights went out downstairs with, uh, on the gas in the co-working or the commercial-grade kitchen. So uh, we had a BIC. We were going to light it all. The two, we, the two people working in the commercial-grade kitchen and I all looked at each other. We had a BIC about to light the gas pilot, and we looked at each other. And he said, I don't know. This doesn't seem like thing <laughs> to do. So I ran upstairs, and I got the alkalite, you know, the longer one, the, um, the rod, and we came down, and I think we all just got so tickled because we lit that, and then we all leaned back as we lit it and smiled, and we thought, this is safer to do that. So it's just this sense of um, tying things together whenever we can in, in any situation where we're loving God and loving others without really any, any, any thought, whatever thought is brought to us by the spirit beyond that, 
is being present. And that's what we're being patient with and learning how to, all of us, I mean, learning so much right now, learning how to just really heed and be patient and live in a cadence that is back and forth with the spirit. Mm. Takes a lot of practice and patience and I'm learning. We're all learning. Keep learning. You are indeed. Well, from uh, maybe from a financial side, how has this benefited uh, the congregations that you all have worked with? It, you know, that it has benefited the congregations in that um, in both of the places that we have um, large facilities like, like Hall Creek, um, we have uh, an arrangement uh, where, where they share some of the revenues and we um, pay uh, more of the expenses. Um, but that aspect of it is not nearly as important as the, uh, the, the contribution of the activity and the space to the overall vitality of the church. Um, people come in who didn't come before, and that, um, that, that causes church growth and that causes um, a, a positive, healthy feeling within the church. And those are the, those are the most important things. Um, the, the, the church, both churches uh, benefit financially, um, but that's not why they do this. Well, I certainly think the financial piece is key. You know, it's not like yep. churches want to become a for-profit organization, but the nature of church giving and the trends over the last several decades um, are a hard reality. And so yep. if churches can begin to think about spaces that were created for a different paradigm um, that require a different paradigm of financial um, compensation, um, you know, how can we come around this? And also, how can we be mission on the same process? So what are, what are some resources you would recommend for those wanting to learn more about this process? Um, I, I, before I answer that, if I can, I would like to, 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 to make sure that you hear a warning from me. If you, if, if you are a church and you are going into this in order to balance your budget and to um, uh, find a way to uh, keep the church sustainable over time, um, you will fail. Um, because what this is about is um, creating new forms of Christian community and finding ways that it's meaningful for people to come together um, in the name of Jesus Christ. The economic piece of it flows with it, but if the economic piece leads, um, then, then that we, we've watched people try it and we've watched people fail. So um, I hear exactly what you're saying, that, that, that we need to find new models for churches to be able to, to, to run, and this is one. But if you go into it for the money, um, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. So having said that, um, resources. Um, uh, we publish a lot. And so we, we, we work with the um, uh, Cascade Press in, in uh, Oregon, uh, Washington, to be able to uh, publish a thing called the Missional Wisdom Library that has a number of different texts about forming uh, um, Things like Hall Creek Commons, forming uh, uh, missional communities in general, reading the Bible in that way, um, uh, 
uh, incorporating handicap theology in that way. We've got a lot of published resources that the Mission Wisdom Foundation is associated with. Um, if you uh, take a look at, at our website, which is missionalwisdom.com, we've got a bookstore where um, all of those are available and they're also available uh, through Amazon. Um, we also do a lot of teaching. Um, we our, our, our key uh, teaching program is something called Launch and Lead, which is a two-year-long hybrid learning platform for both clergy and lay people to um, define what missional church is, to uh, put together a missional project of their own while working with coaches and spiritual directors to help them to go through um, actually doing something and to build a cohort of, um, of peers who can help you on an ongoing basis to think about church in this way. We also have programs for um, missional spiritual direction, for missional coaching, and then uh, a number of uh, short courses that uh, are, uh, again, accessible through our website to be able to look at particular issues within the development of Missional Church. Hmm. For those that want to stay connected with Karen and Larry, you can visit wisdom, or excuse me, let me try that again, missionalwisdom.com. You there can you also go. follow them on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Karen and Larry, thank you for modeling the way in a new expression of loving our neighbor and developing authentic community. It's our pleasure. Thanks for the time. Yeah, thank you so much. It's great to be a part. Well, that's it. That's our episode. Be sure to check out our annual sponsors' websites, the Center for Congregational Health at healthychurch.org and Fuller Seminary at fuller.edu. For more information about the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, including stories about our church starters, field personnel, leadership development, peer learning groups, and advocacy, visit cbf.net.